Good morning and welcome to our live broadcast at First Presbyterian Church. It is a joy to come into your home today with good news about God who loves you. We are located in beautiful Uptown Columbus on the corner of 11th and 1st. We would love for you to join us for worship or just stop by and say hello. At First Presbyterian Church, we welcome you with grace and gratitude for God's love. For those who are able, please rise for the reading of our first scripture lesson. The lesson will be found in the book of Psalms, number 147, verses 1 through 5. Uh, it's on page 582 in your pew Bible. And before we read, let us pray. Almighty and all-knowing God, as your word is read and preached, open our hearts to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Give us the patience to hear that voice speaking to us and the courage to act as you call us. Amen. And now from Psalm 147, beginning with verse 1. Praise the Lord, how good it is to sing praises to our God. For he is gracious and a song of praise is fitting. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcast of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. He determines the number of the stars he gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Our second scripture lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, verses 5 through 21. You can find that on page 18 in the New Testament in your pew Bibles. As we read through this passage, first we're going to read a segment where Jesus reminds the disciples that he's not always just talking about earthly things. He's also talking about things that are beyond this world. And then the second section, we have a beautiful and powerful, probably the first statement of faith ever made. And then we end up with Jesus reminding us that from great suffering, comes powerful blessing. Listen to the word of the Lord. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. And Jesus said to them, watch out and beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they said to one another, it's because we've brought no bread. And becoming aware of it, Jesus said, you of little faith, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? How could you fail to perceive that I was not speaking about bread? Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he had not told them to beware of the yeast of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. At this point, I would like to ask you to stand as we continue to reading, continue reading from the gospel message. 
picking up again at verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, but others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah and one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he sternly ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And on the third day, be raised. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The very first church that I served was in Evansville, Indiana. Eastminster Presbyterian Church was a great place to serve alongside very faithful people just like in each of the churches that I've had the opportunity to serve since then. And Eastminster, much like First Presbyterian, had a sign out front, and it was the custom to put the sermon title for the upcoming Sunday out on the sign so people could see it throughout the week. Now, I'm not sure who has this particular responsibility here at First Presbyterian, but at Eastminster, Chris Helm was our sexton, and it was his job to change that sign every Monday morning. Now, some of you may not know this, but occasionally, as pastors, we have a hard time getting our worship information on time. Now, I see Kimberly Mosley has returned from vacation. <laughs> she knows this all too well. I can't quite make eye contact with her. Or with John Burgess, who gets the worship information at Morningside. Sometimes the week just starts a little slow and we don't have it all together. And for Chris Helm, this meant that occasionally there was a Monday when there was no new message to put out on that sign. So he would come into the church office and ask if we had a message. And usually we would, maybe just a couple hours late. But sometimes we didn't. But Chris always had a suggestion. And it was the same suggestion each and every time. He said, I know what we can put out there. Sign broken. Come inside for message. (laughs) Now, Chris had seen this at another church at some point and loved it so much. And without fail, he suggested that we put this message on our sign whenever we were in a pinch. Now, I don't remember if Chris ever actually got to put that message on the sign. It seems like he did, but I do remember that message. It is clever. 
The fact of the matter is, things do get broken. Plumbing breaks, AC units break, toys, even signs. Legs and arms can become broken, and hearts and promises. Relationships, both personal and communal, are not immune to brokenness. And ultimately, even a person can become broken in spirit. So it seems like a good message for a church sign would be, feeling broken, come inside for a healing message. But what if a church feels broken? Can the message of healing still be found inside? Well, in our day-to-day -day lives, we have a tendency to throw out what is broken. I'm sure you see this in your own neighborhoods. Every trash day, there are any number of items that are dragged to the curb, ready to be picked up because they're broken and just not usable. You know, they say that one person's trash is another's treasure, so there often is someone who comes along and rescues a few things, giving them yet another chance. But for the most part, the trash is simply sent to the dump, and it becomes time to get something new. So often, cell phones get dropped and the screen breaks, and it is such a frustration. But in that situation, you hope so much that you can just run to the cell phone store and quickly get a replacement for it, which is why we buy those protection plans. And then there are some things that we fix and fix until we just can't fix them anymore like that car that's been paid off for a few years. If you can hold out just a little longer before having to take on a car payment, well, that's really wise. But eventually the car just isn't the same, doesn't seem reliable, and a little fix here and a little fix there doesn't seem like enough anymore. And too much brokenness makes it time to break down and just get a new one. This is how we deal with the broken things that are around us. And unfortunately, we can begin to treat ourselves or each other as if our brokenness renders us useless and in need of replacement. But thankfully, God has a completely different way of dealing with brokenness. Psalm 147 says, God heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. This is much needed good news. But the God of healing doesn't stop there. God puts that brokenness to good use. The life of Simon Peter shows forth the glory of God, as well as the power of what God can do with a broken and an imperfect person. Of course, all throughout the witness of Scripture, we can find imperfect people listed in the pages of the Bible. But today, our focus is on Peter. Peter was a fisherman who quickly decided that he wanted to follow Jesus. Maybe he was just impulsive, or maybe he just could not resist the winsome nature of Jesus. Whatever the case, Peter was bold to leave behind the life he knew and to literally follow in the footsteps of Jesus. 
He quickly became a leader within that group of disciples and often spoke up with a gutsy and seemingly unfiltered passion. Peter didn't appear to be one who was worried about what other people thought about him, except for one time. And this is the instance of Peter's most broken moment in his life. It was the day that Peter denied knowing Jesus three times. When Jesus was arrested, Peter's heart began to break. Oh, no, no, I don't, I don't know that man. He was confused. He was scared for his life. No, you must have me mixed up with someone else. I don't know Jesus. And when Jesus was questioned by the Sanhedrin, Peter's heart ached within him. No, I told you, I was never with this man. And then Jesus became utterly and completely broken. The minute that he heard a rooster crow and looked up straight into the eyes of the one he had denied. So he took his shattered life and he went into hiding along with most of the other disciples. What now? Was any of this real? Is there some place I can go to just make a new start? I can't imagine going on. Can I just go back to life as usual? Is that even possible? Will I ever be the same? These are the questions of a broken heart, and they do have answers. The answers to individual questions may be different from person to person, but the answer to that final question is always no. Will I ever be the same? No, you won't. Brokenness, it changes a person. But the good news is, so does our God. We know that Peter's denial and brokenness were not the end of his story. Really, they were simply just the middle of his story. What happened next was rejoicing with the resurrection. He found forgiveness and purpose in the presence of his risen Lord. And then he lived up to and through his final breath in the sure and certain knowledge that he did indeed know Jesus. And he had spent his life making sure others knew him as well. God healed Peter's brokenness, but God did not stop with healing. Vance Havener puts it this way, God uses broken things. It takes broken soil to produce a crop, broken clouds to give rain, broken grain to give bread, broken bread to give strength. It is the broken alabaster box that gives forth perfume. It is Peter, weeping bitterly, who returns to greater power than ever. This is good news for you and for me, for this church, for my church, for the church.
God's plan for this world is so much bigger than brokenness that it even includes brokenness. And God will not let anything get in the way of what God wills to do. The Boaz family knows that this is true. Some of you know that our son, John, who is five now, is adopted. We were so thankful to be invited to be there in the hospital on the day that he was born. We were so glad to be one of the very first faces that he looked at with his cloudy newborn eyes. We were amazed that we got to actually feed him his very first bottle ever. It was such an amazing day, and I remember it like a dream because really it was a dream. It was our dream. We had wanted to be parents for so long, and then finally, on April 9th, 2010, we got what we had been hoping and praying for. Of course, the journey had started months and months and months before that. The adoption process is pretty different from the usual way of family planning. There is paperwork, and a lot of it. There are applications and checklists, multiple choice questions, narrative reports. There are social worker visits, parenting classes, a really good idea, by the way, physical exams, fingerprinting, criminal background checks, and even financial commitments. And then once all of those necessary safety hurdles have been cleared, there is the writing of a profile. For us, this meant coming up with pictures and various texts that could go along with the pictures to introduce ourselves to birth parents. It was a very glossy four-page get-to-know-you-slash-marketing tool that we were trying to put together because essentially we were trying to present ourselves in the very best light possible and come up with something that would make our profile stick out among so many others. We needed this profile to help us introduce ourselves to a birth mother who was trying to figure out who would take over where she had to leave off, who would raise this child that she knew she couldn't raise herself. You know, it's a lot to ask from pictures and fonts and color printing. But amazingly, this process works. Our son's birth parents decided just 11 days before his due date that they simply could not give him everything that he needed and that they wanted for him. So with no time to waste, they contacted the adoption agency who quickly jumped into action and went to work and once the birth parents had gone through all of the necessary safety hurdles, well, it was time for them to choose who would be the parents to their child. Now, the directors from the adoption agency compared what they knew about this couple along with all of the adoptive parents they had in their database. And very carefully, they pulled out 10 profiles, just 10, from the over 100 potential parents in the list. 10 because it wouldn't be too overwhelming, but 10 because it would give a good variety. And they took those profiles to be shown 
to our son's birth parents. And when the birth parents looked at the profiles, well, as you know, they picked us. Well, the next day back at the adoption agency, it was an exciting day. It always was for the social workers when they knew that a child was being placed. And so when our social worker walked in, they quickly asked her, so who did the couple choose? And she said they chose Craig and Stephanie. But there was silence in the entire office, and this was unusual. And so she backed up and stuck her head into the room where the two directors were sitting and looked at them. They were looking very confused. They said, Craig and Stephanie? But we didn't send them Craig and Stephanie. Not for any reason in particular, it's just for some reason our names didn't come up in that pile of 10, and they looked back at their records They could see all 10 of the profiles that had been chosen, and indeed, they had not sent Craig and Stephanie. Well, the social worker knew she wasn't crazy, so she went back, got her notes, pulled out our profile, and showed that indeed, they had chosen us. And they all sat in there together, and the only thing they could come up with was that somehow, this couple had gotten 11 profiles, and they had chosen the 11th one. Well, it was about then that the founder and co-director of the agency just got up, clapped her hands, snapped her fingers, and said, you see, people, we cannot mess this up. This process is so in God's hands. That's good news for us in the church. This is something that we need to be able to remember as the church. Sometimes being the church just makes sense and seems like doing the right things at the right times. And other times being the church is hard. There are times when the simple fact that human beings are in the church can make things pretty messy. Either way, the church belongs to God, and nothing can change this truth ever. The chief executive of a large and successful chain of stores made a striking statement about the future of his company. He said that a hundred years from now, his stores would either be greatly changed or non-existent. And the same can be said about every human organization. Leaders come and go. Consumer desires change. Manufacturing methods evolve. As a result, companies either change or they don't survive. But according to Jesus, this will never happen to his church. Some individual churches may go out of existence, but the gates of Hades, he says, will never prevail against the church that he builds. When Jesus referred to my church in Matthew 16, he had in mind all believers, past, present, and future. And we know that Paul called this vast group the body of Christ. Today, we have gathered as a portion of that beautiful and timeless body of Christ. What has brought us here today is more than tradition or habit or responsibility. We have gathered because of what we believe, because of what we profess to be true. 
And it's the same profession of faith that Peter made in our scripture lesson this morning. Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Peter was the first to make this particular profession of faith. He was the first to truly see Jesus for who he was. And when he did, it was the start of something that no human being or human beings can ever destroy. We see that this is true in the life of Peter. He made this profession of faith in the early part of his story of faith. And Jesus declared at that point that he would build his church on this foundational truth. But then we know the middle of Peter's story. He spoke through fear and self-preservation that left him broken and disillusioned. But still, Jesus had plans for Peter. And Jesus' plans prevailed against the brokenness. Furthermore, through that brokenness, Peter came to know even more deeply what it meant that he believed in Jesus. And so he spent the rest of his life proclaiming what he knew to be true, even in the face of death. Now, we have witnessed this recently. Through our televisions, our news feeds, the newspaper, and even through social media, we have witnessed faithful members of Christ's church proclaiming the truth of Jesus Christ even in the face of death. It's been more than a week since Dylan Storm Roof walked into the Emanuel AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina. We know from his own words that what he went there to do was to shoot as many African Americans as he could. But the Christians who were there that evening, they didn't know that his, this was his intention. They simply looked up and saw a stranger, one who was different than themselves, a stranger in their midst. And the members of that church knew exactly what they were supposed to do in the presence of a stranger. So they welcomed him into their space, into their fellowship, into that Bible study. And they were faithful. We know this from the shooter's own recounting of events. He told officials that he almost didn't go through with his plans because they were so nice to him. Still tragically, he did. And in a nightmare of seconds, nine people were killed and countless others were struck with broken hearts. Sadness and outrage and even debate have been sparked all over this country. And we know the issues and they are important. But this morning, maybe for every morning, there is a story much more important to tell. The church has been faithful. Family members and friends have stepped forward not only to thank God for the ones that they loved and have lost, but also to boldly speak about how God is moving in their own hearts, their own broken hearts.
They have stood up to bear witness to the fact that their faith in Jesus Christ is carrying them through this tragedy. More than that, their faith in Jesus Christ has led them to feel compassion for this man, the one who murdered their family, their friend. And in a bold act of faithfulness, they have publicly offered forgiveness to the shooter. Last week, in a court proceeding, the families of those who were killed were given a chance to speak directly to the shooter. And one by one, they all came forward to the microphone, and there they showed forth more grace than I'm sure I have ever shown forth in my life up to this date. Just in a few moments. And every news outlet across this nation captured it. Captured it and sent it, not just around our nation, but around this world. It was captured. The beauty of the church at work, even in the midst of brokenness, the beauty of people who stand up and say, this is what I believe, and even the worst of circumstances cannot overturn it. This is what got broadcast for all to see. This is amazing. This is incredible good news. Because this is what can happen when Jesus reaches into our lives, grabs hold of our brokenness, and guides us through in faithfulness. And if it can happen on a world stage like that, in a huge tragedy, then can't it also happen with the woundedness that we feel in the places where we serve? Isn't God holding our broken hearts too? I think about the signs outside the churches again. And thinking about the passage of Scripture and thinking about what we have seen in light of tragedy, I feel like a really great church sign would be Praise God, the church is indestructible. And that's a message that we need to see regularly, that we need to remind each other of day in and day out. But then I also think about another sign that might be very helpful and just as true. Maybe it would say, feeling broken, come inside to sit alongside of those who have been broken and who have beautiful scars of healing to share. Isn't there promise in that? We'll never be the same, not after heartbreak, but we will be who God chooses for us to be. And this is a truth we can stand on together. Amen.